Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. Why are you walking towards me like a serial killer? Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 207, Monsters, comes to you now via Neural Oscillator. And as we make our way across the multi-multiverses of podcasting pete as of yesterday we have podcasted the first half of moon Knight, making our way through its six episode season and uh having quite a good time doing so if i may say so myself been a blast i can't believe we're halfway through next week's the big game changer if you're watching that if you haven't gotten on to it chance to get there and of course we're bringing you along for the ride all leading up to this big week we're going to have the first week of may the moon night season series finale the picard season two finale the strange new worlds premiere doctor strange and the multiverse of madness all happening within two days of one another the best of times uh we might be tired at the end of it that would only be the worst part otherwise all good uh and pete keeping things a little bit closer to the star trek universe uh in the last week we were doing a little update to our star trek lower decks podcast feed and uh starting to get excited for the presumed summertime debut of its third season yeah, I got a little glimpse of a teaser trailer from uh, Star Trek Mission Chicago. Talked about the panel there as well, where they cosplayed as themselves, members of the cast. So check that on out on Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek. For now, though, let's head into our mission briefing. The distant crackling of a sun gives way to a miniature holographic version on a table as an unseen voice speaks with Picard, who's wearing his tuxedo and asks to get back to it. Where were they? Picard is not about to do his job as a therapist for him. The man is guest star James Callis in a Starfleet uniform. Aren't we more than our jobs? He asks. Even Picard's closest friends call him Captain. So, Jean-Luc, who's he? Picard bristles at the line of questioning as he's been humoring the therapist for 40 minutes. But it's just a routine psych evaluation and it's only been 20 he has to tell someone he spent an hour with Picard, and in the meantime, they're just stuck there. And they have a plan. Uh, the therapist takes the model son off the table, giving it to Picard. Make something you know. Uh, so Picard starts to tell a story. Once upon a time, there was a queen with fiery red hair. We fade to the queen. Pete, And no she was female. Uh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> Uh, the queen is, of course, Maman, telling young Jean-Luc a story. And Pete, part of that story uh, has the lesson that there was no better teacher than the enemy. Picard remembers how her time with him was borrowed. She tells 
him, he's like his father, expression emanating from his hands and not from his mouth. But young Picard did not want to be like his father. He wanted to be like her. She tells him he must learn to lift people up in times of grave danger and lead them with inspiring speech. He doesn't think he can, but she knows the future. Picard remembers she could feel danger in her bones, often before anyone else. Suddenly, the painted shadows on the glass come to life, growling and snarling. Mama wants Picard to understand how deeply she loves him, no matter how long she knows him. She's proud of him. They run from the room as the glass shatters, protected behind the door, and into the cellar where Picard falls. She helps him up, and then the monster drags her away as Picard struggles in his coma. The credits show our regulars, minus Evan Evagora and Issa Briones. Also, no Brent Spiner, nor John Delancey. The episode written by Jane Maggs and directed by Joe Menendez. In the 2024 portion of the story, Jean-Luc is moving a little bit on the bed there, still comatose. The crew gives the update that Gerardi is on the move. La Serena's sensors will try and track Gerardi's comm badge. Uh, and Seven and Rafi beam back to the ship. They can't believe that Gerardi might be back with Rios. Rafi is not having it. After all, the pain of the Rafi and Seven relationship is the main event, not a side story. They scan for Gerardi's badge, uh, having some difficulty. Uh, indeed, Seven has been kicked out, then locked out of the interface of the system, computer, etc. All done by the Queen. This needs to be fixed. They need to find Gerardi and get home. So a little mini mission spelled out clearly there. Pete, take us back to the clinic. Talon disables the parental controls and has an interesting pointy-eared headset. She tells Rios she's going to try to help Picard make sense when she goes in uh, before she pushes a button and her eyes go white and she enters the cellar of Picard's memory. Meanwhile, Picard continues to spar with the therapist. He wasn't aware Starfleet still employed doctors like him, but some patients build walls so complex even a Betazoid can't get around them. Um, indeed, uh, the fact that Picard's uh, story about the dungeon has not ended. Uh, Picard refutes that. Sometimes a story ends with a boy lost and alone in a dungeon. Uh, the therapist notes that Picard should be relieved of command, lest he take a crew on one last suicide mission. After all, there are a thousand ways to die out there, which seems to what catch... What did he say? Uh, in indeed. We're going to circle back to that one later. Picard continues the story, uh, all as Talon walks through his mind hearing some of Picard's greatest hits echoing. She hears the monster's roar as well. Uh, if this is his mind sober, she'd like to see five-drink Picard, who must be a blast. She finds young Jean-Luc in the dungeon and calls to him. Uh, she says that she's trying to help someone. And young Jean-Luc was always told to stay put if separated. Uh, Talon can help unstick him. But she has to help, uh, pardon me, he has to save Maman. Uh, there's a roar, and they run. 
The therapist says their hour is up and Picard can go back to wherever he's hiding from himself. He was warned, after all, that he is stubborn, which angers Picard. What is this? Something else. But he comes to the realization that he's stuck. Who is this therapist who notes that Picard is this, you know, diplomatic captain cultured yet perpetually untethered in the ways of the heart? Is there a secret shame or guilt that causes him to be this way? And then the same banging from beneath Chateau Picard happens on the door here of what we learn in a little bit is not the therapist's office, but instead Picard's ready room. Probably a redress of the Stargazer ready room, but I digress. Um, the, the therapist says they both know where that banging is coming from. Uh, you're somehow obsessed with the virtue that your, uh, your, your story is good versus about to say evil. Picard says, stop. Uh, you don't know how it ends. So we cut to Talon and the boy on the run. Um, not exactly being chased by a knightly guard, but a, a, a guard in armor, uh, kind of risking finding them. Uh, the boy, young John Luke, says the goal is to find the white door, but its position always moves. White smoke finds them, and more monsters appear. And at that moment of tension, we go back to the exterior story in 2024, where uh, Dr. Teresa has returned with her son. Hey, Pete, that was set up last episode. So look, there we go. Ricardo plays with a spaceship and an astronaut helmet when he runs into Rios. Turns out his babysitter flaked. She asks how the patient is, and the door is locked. Rios wants to talk first. Uh, he eventually hands over the keys and tells her to keep an open mind. She opens the door to find Picard writhing and Talon with her white eyes and her headset. What is this? Rios tells her it's a, a procedure. Why are you walking towards me like a serial killer? She asks, but he needs to explain something to her without breaking time. Talon throbs and in her mind, she's told by a monster that she shouldn't be there back out in the clinic. Rios, uh, you know, communicates with Rafi to replicate uh, and beam something for Picard's brain. It is a neural oscillator, and uh, it is given to Dr. Teresa, who I guess is the more qualified of the two to use 25th century brain technology. We won't focus on that too much. She fiddles with it to help Picard. Inside the world of the mind, Talon wonders if uh, Jean-Luc is doing this on purpose. Uh, young Jean-Luc, that is. He doesn't want to be unstuck, but Talon tells him that this time He's not alone, and with her hands, she breaks the shackles. Teresa has done it and stabilized Picard, but is Rios from outer space? No, he's from Chile. He only works in outer space. I understood that reference. I understood that <laughs> reference. In the mind, the door appears, uh, and Talon kicks it open. We go to La Serena where Rafi has replicated coffee. You know, Pete, the kind of coffee that was in Nebulas and such. Uh, Seven has hacked the Borg uh, code and is ignoring the coffee. 
They find video evidence of Borg Jurati introducing Borg code to the ship, and she needs to be found right now. Adult Picard meets Talon and his younger self in the uh, catacombs beneath Chateau Picard. He was just in his ready room. The banging continues, and a young Picard calls the therapist, who's also there, a monster. His mother is trapped behind the door. Adult Picard confronts the therapist, guarding his mother all this time. He says Picard lived longer than he did, but he got to keep his hair. Not exactly a fair trade, is it, son? And so that use of the noun is fully understood at the end of the sentence. Picard then says that uh, his father's cruelty was relentless. Secret dad reveal. There we go. Uh, And uh, dad thought Jean-Luc couldn't save her from a monster. Look again. Picard sees a picture of the tunnels. Um... The, the very tunnels that he had been told by his father to never go down into. There were, of course, There's in the tunnels. There's a thousand ways to die down there. Oh, yes. Uh, with that, we cut to a real memory, uh, which is to say one that does not have kind of the fanciful red-haired queen aspect to it. Maman telling young Jean-Luc to hide in the tunnels, to hide from the father. Jean-Luc got his foot stuck in a board and was found hours later by his father. Uh, indeed, Uh, Maurice notes Yvette's cycles of happiness and sadness, uh, and uh, the father strove to get her the help that she needed. She had this darkness and also rational exhilaration, not name-checked, but sounds an awful lot like bipolar disorder. Um, She needed that help, but would not accept it. Uh, There was no light in the catacombs, Matt, thankfully no one saw four of them, <laughs> um, but it's a labyrinth. There was rain coming and they would have never made it out. Perhaps Picard never really knew his father. Talon tells young Jean-Luc he'll do so much with this pain and save worlds. And young Jean-Luc produces a key to the door his mother is locked behind, uh, prompting Talon to suspect there's more to this story. But Picard wakes after a couple quick flashes of the white light behind the door and Talon's eyes open. In the waiting area of the clinic, Rios and Ricardo are drawing with chalk on the wall. Rios tells Dr. Teresa that he's human. Good news, but of course, follow your instincts. Rios has always sought out father figures. Kind of maybe thought Picard could be one, even though Picard does not see him as a son. Uh, But who does Dr. Teresa want Rios to be? She says a good guy. And Pete, there's a sizzle in the air. I don't mean by a transporter beam. I mean by the magnetism between two beautiful people that just reaches through the screen and says, ay, ay, ay. He beams them to La Serena and Ricardo is going to go touch everything. <laughs> On the streets of Los Angeles, Rafi and Seven are searching for Gerardi uh, with a good side of Borg Queen. Uh, they find some footage of Gerardi stopping at a bar. 
uh, finding the good lady Stuart singing, um, and Gerardi smashes uh, a window. Uh, back at the clinic, Rafi is updating Picard about the Gerardi situation, but he has something to take care of. Uh, Talon walks in the room to update everybody about Renee, you know, who we were so invested in last episode. There's no problem with her, no sign of Soon or Q. It's all happened off screen. Uh, we don't need to worry about it. So there's that, Pete. Remember last week when you felt bad for the lady that didn't have the confidence to go be her best self? Uh, problem solved somewhere that's not in this episode. Well, I think it's all related in what we saw here and the, the full understanding, at least as far as uh, Maman is concerned here with uh, the depression that she suffered. Um, Talon credits Picard for saving Renee, and he credits her for leaping past these personal boundaries. So she shares that her ears are indeed pointed uh she could be an ancestor of laris as a romulan here they were usually recruited to watch over their own picard says the technology that allows her to hide her ears could be useful but she says it has its limitations once she switches it off she can uh she can't use it again for eight hours and now she's got to hide her ears for the rest of the day which is a handy bit of story baloney, but it's holographic. Uh, it's front-loading for later. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, so, Chekhov's uh, hollow ear device. <laughs> uh, so has all of this been part of Q's plan? Did Q want Picard to remember all of this? Picard reflects back on that line. There's no better teacher than one's enemy. Picard knows himself better. So perhaps the lesson is to know Hugh better as well. This trial is uh, deeply personal and urgent to Q. Um, but of course, who can sum summon him? Talon can't, but he knows someone who can. Pete, who is that? Guinan did not leave Los Angeles. And in her bar, she produces a bottle and explains that a long time ago, after a Cold War, her people, the Elorians, and the denizens of the Q continuum, she's not going to call them gods, struck a truce. Elorians believe that food and drink unite them, so the truce was made over that bottle. The moment itself is still inside. Elorians hear the world like music, and if you dial in the right note, memory, or chord, and pluck it back, um... You can get attention of just the right player, in their case, the friendly neighborhood Q. She does this. Uh, it causes an earthquake. She pours the dark liquid into a glass and drinks it and screams eerily before coughing. Has it done anything, Matt? Uh, apparently not. It didn't work, and Guinan doesn't understand why. We cut back to Rafi, who's um, wondering how they can track something that they don't understand, uh, you know, to better understand the Gerardi situation. Look, there's smashed glass. Seven smashes a bottle. She's trying a to Pat's understand. A Pabst Blue Ribbon bottle. Hipsters. <laughs> oh, boy. Pete, I would hope that the good lady, Stuart, would only sing 
at such places that would serve uh, hipstery, uh, both drink and food. Um, but with that smashing of the bottle, uh, what does Seven understand? There's a rush of endorphins. Ah, Queenie is trying to speed up the process of assimilation, give endorphins to the Borg Nanites. This will be the birth of a new queen, kind of like Pete's been talking about all season. Uh, she will want to start an empire and can start to assimilate this planet before uh, humans can defend themselves. The solution is we need Picard. Back at the bar, okay, uh, Guinan explains that when an Elorian summons a Q, a Q appears. Is it him at the door to the bar there? Guinan does the hand thing from the first time we ever saw her confront Q before, but it is not uh, the man who comes uh, in. He says that uh, the sign says they're open, but owner Trump's sign, Guinan explains, even though he is celebrating. So she serves him rather quickly. He looks like a guy who orders a bourbon when he really wants a white wine and a cozy up with some boring nonfiction. Uh, he says that she's very good. And uh, back with Picard, she says there's no reason she knows that what they did should not have worked. But the man says that he's more of a sci-fi guy himself. Um, and that Picard and Guinan, are, are they into that? Uh, but they say they are definitely not the spacey types and then the man produces his phone because he wants to show them something. And indeed, as this man's time increases in the scene here, the camera increasingly favoring him. Uh, and on his phone, uh, he, you know, he's going to show some amazing things, unexplained, something like this footage of Picard beaming in. Uh, the, hey, that's this guy here. Guinan passes it off as a glitch to the security system, the security uh, cameras. But the guy is FBI and you're under arrest. People come in, move, 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 all that. Picard quickly tossing his comm badge aside uh, and then uh, presumably about to get rounded up here as we get a close up on Picard and the episode ends. With that threat analysis uh, sound sounding there, Pete, let's talk about the threats of this episode. Let's start with monsters, both imagined and real. So the understanding that we have now that Picard's mother suffered from depression and there does not seem to have been abuse on behalf of the father, that the stern nature that he showed his wife was you know out of love and wanting to uh, protect her and protect his son i'm glad that you pointed out that the episode highlights the idea that there may be more to this you know i know it's not literally a flashback because it's in his mind but that there might be more to this flashback story because i have to say pete coming into this episode expecting them the show the 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 voice of the show 
to explore the notion of an abusive home and, and things of that sort to thus far end with the idea, uh, hey, young man, mom was just being really emotional. Uh, mom's kind of crazy. When she says she's fearful and being hit, uh, don't believe her. It's me, the Battlestar Galactica guy. I'm a cool guy. I'm your cool dad. Um, I hope that's not where this arc ends. Agreed. If anything, the read I got on it was, you know, with Sir Patrick Stewart as a producer of the show and in the writer's room, you know, so much has been made that he was the product of an abusive home that his father struggled with issues after uh, World War Two. And, um, you know, that that was some form of influence for this season. But I can appreciate that they didn't necessarily at this point want to do a one to one with that, which I think is something we kind of all expected one because of what they've shown us to this point and two because of the real world story of Patrick Stewart and his family. Um, but the repeated notion that there's more to this story, you wonder if it's, if it's a reveal within a reveal that yes, she did suffer from mental illness, but perhaps there was abuse that James Callis cameo was not a super well hold held secret. Um, I had heard about that for quite some time it remains to be seen if he returns. Um, I mean, listen, if anything else to bring in sci-fi royalty in the guy that played Gaius Baltar on the reboot and, you know, more critically acclaimed Battlestar Galactica, that's a big win. And we'd never gotten Picard's father. So to fill that hole in the character's story. Um, wonder if we'll see him again. I would certainly welcome it. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think people will look back favorably on this episode. If the ultimate conclusion, not just of this episode, but of the arc, you know, again is, Hey mom, quit complaining and being so up and down with your emotions. Um, let, let's hope there's more to it uh i i did like the idea on this topic of of real monsters i liked the idea that this still is somehow tied to q's master plan which i had not lost track of but kind of in the moment you know did q put picard here or help picard somehow make decisions to get here so soon would hit him with a tesla like there's there's a certain micro level where you say not all of this can be machinations of q but the idea that the overall broad strokes are here for that larger Q story. It was a nice reminder there that Q is our monster who still might end up being our friend. The omnipotence to see all these threads, yet the inability to act himself and that John Delancey doesn't appear in this episode, yet we still feel the shadow of the character and what, he seems to be going through rather than what he's doing. 
moving on here we have Gerardi, uh not in much of the episode but certainly continuing to be I, I would say and it's not a complaint although maybe it's not a full compliment Gerardi's actions in this episode serve as villainy for next week you know it's it's the search for Gerardi is the c plot this week and it's really kind of just a momentum builder for what i'm assuming is next week if not you know uh, soon implanting borg code in la serena uh venturing around the streets of los angeles i was worried she was gonna beat up some dudes in uh deacon's bar there instead just uh committing some uh you know vandalism property damage on her way to try to uh, speed up the process of those nanites taking her over and then really getting down to business. The last threat is this uh, federal agent who, boy, Pete, the camera really does, it, the camera favors him, but he's not a super famous guy. This is not, oh my goodness, they got Gaius Baltar from Battlestar Galactica. This is not the iconic EGOT winning Whoopi Goldberg kind of camera reveal. Pete, why does he look so darn familiar even though he's not a famous fella? Well, we've seen him in an hour of Star Trek before that we're going to talk a lot about in our theory segment. So if Pete, I was going to be down on the idea and look, I'm not, I'm not here to carry anybody's water or any agency's water or anything like that. But if I was slightly down on the idea, like, Fine, you took us on the abuses of ICE, and you showed us a rather disinterested LAPD. Now the FBI is the baddies again. I'm kind of down on that as an interesting new thing. You're telling me that there might be a different kind of threat there? Absolutely. Well, then I think that we had better head into theories. All right, Pete, with those long-range sensors now properly attuned, uh, what's going on with FBI guy? So FBI agent, the, the character is credited as having a name, but we've not heard it yet on screen, and that's kind of the fantastic geek rule, so I'm not going to say it yet. But the actor is Jay Carnes, and he also played Lieutenant Duquesne, in an episode of Voyager entitled Relativity, that is the uh, season five, episode 24 uh, episode, um, where he plays a 29th century Starfleet officer on a Federation timeship called the USS Relativity. So wait a minute, Pete. What you're saying is that of all the people who might arrest the time hop in Jean Picard. It's it's a time cop here. It's a time cop who has specifically uh, worked with Seven of Nine before. That is a really fun inclusion. I have to admit, Pete. I needed. I will admit to the listeners. Uh, you. It took you to tip me off that he had played Duquesne and so on and so forth. Um, otherwise, I was a bit down on like yeah, as I said before, like. Oh man, it's the fuzz again to be all oppressive again. And don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for that kind of story, but I don't think this show visiting that topic in a 
you know, with a soft to medium amount of story force, uh, I was not like, oh, next week the FBI questions him. It's kind of like when Rios was in, like, I didn't see the, 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 the story energy to it. The notion that we're about to step into the larger world of time travel and federation and time police and all of that. That's a really, really delicious idea. And frankly, to connect it to an actor, I'm sure if I looked at this guy's IMDb, he's probably been in, you know, 150 things. But the fact that you get this guy who was a young man during Voyager and is a, a man of a certain age now and still an actor still around and so forth. It's just it's genius. There's no doubt they're going in that direction. <laughs> There's a, a a strong chance you would have gotten just about anybody else if they weren't connected. So it's going to be interesting to see that play out. Is it all right? You know, you got caught beaming in. I'm going to apprehend you so you don't get in any more trouble. Um, or is it, you know, he knew people were on to them and he's, he's going to play along until he can, uh, you know, uh, find a way to explain it. Pete, just a quick peek at the IMDb of actor Jay Carnes. I mean, Sons of Anarchy, The Shield. Again, this this not like uh, this not somebody where you had to dust them off of the fact that now they own a you know a bookshop in Arizona. Still a working actor, but you know clearly this is where things are headed next week. Kind of no question there. Um. Pete, I will return to a favorite topic of mine with three episodes to go with <laughs> the Gerardi queen still out there with the time still out there in Los Angeles, 2024 with the time cops having been alerted in 2024. Um, presumably with the soon situation still open-ended the Q situation still open-ended. I am liking enough the Los Angeles portion of this season, but not loving it compared to the rousing 25th century stargazer bridge and all of that. Or is it possible that we get a half hour or less in the next three episodes of the 25th century, which is to say is most of what's left for the next three uh, episodes tethered to Los Angeles in the present dish day with uh, this federal agent, showing up there's very clearly more set in los angeles i know you had been circling that they would go back to the 25th century sooner um i believe you have a theory they might stay a little longer yeah i mean we know clearly they're getting back to the 25th century because the next generation cast joins in season three you could see a situation i think you could see a situation by which they have Los Angeles based trouble to get all the way through the 10th episode, at which point after trials and tribulations and twists and turns and whatnot, finally La Serena warps around all while Picard has been hurt or the time waves have knocked his positronic uh, brain offline or whatever it is. And it could be as simple as, you know, in the darkness, John Luke, are you all right? And he opens his eyes and there's the cast of next generation around him. And he says, you know, yes, will I've come home. Boom. End of season. So that's an exciting, la that's an exciting 30 seconds I'm describing. I would like to contrast that though, with the hope that we could 
get some kind of trek in the stars happening before that um and i i i guess i'm in the position pete of predicting that it's going to be well into the 10th episode before we get back to the 25th century well needing to resolve this trial via q and now that it seems he needs it to happen rather than he is making it happen his words from the end of uh or it was the beginning of the second episode penance that, that this is a penance but whose penance is it it's not quite clear you know with him with the soon uh plot line um there's a lot going on with just three episodes remaining there is and you know i don't want to sound like i'm complaining but there's a lot to go and that's through the lens of uh, the prior two episodes, the two Frakes episodes that, you know, I think there's a scenario by which, maybe this way, fine. They, they're they going to do 10 episodes. Great. Some are going to be shorter, some are going to be longer. That's fine. Is there a scenario by which the two Frakes episodes were one 65-minute episode and, you know, we'll see what's in, I mean, I think this episode had fine pacing. Also, it was, what, in the 48-minute range or so, something like that. It was a bit more to... I'll say normal or to my expectations, whatever it might be. If the next three episodes feel a little rushed um, or if they're all, you know, 60 minuteers, which is probably pushing it, then I think there would have been an argument to be made to reshuffle things. I don't know how easy that is to do, you know, as you are filming and footage is coming in and you're doing rough edits and so forth. But I guess, Pete, this is a protracted, I'm, I've turned into one of those fans. I'm pre complaining about the things that haven't happened yet because I, anticipate them to somehow let me down from my star trek ideal what is going on are we actually in the alternate 2022 are we in an alternate 2022 yeah because i'm the fan who's complaining that the star trek that has yet to come out is going to let me down therefore it's bad what's going on i'm working through my own thing here are you james callus i'm just very confused (laughs) am i even really here uh no no i i think um are you my dad pete I'm not your dad. Okay. <laughs> it'll it'll all be resolved. It'll all be taken care of. Um, I have complete faith in the way that they've meted out this story to this point. Um, I'm going to ding them a little bit, though. You know, Talon is not Romulan until she's Romulan. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, here's what we can say. The show... This show, Star Trek Picard, and also I would argue following into prior uses of Brent Spiner, but this show is fully committed, fully okay with the idea that people who are related can look the same because actors. Um, I think we can understand how that's very unlikely in the real world, although we've all heard stories of like, look, this is great grandma's picture. No, it's you. Like We've all heard stories like that. However, generally that's not the case. However, however, fine, I get it. You want to have Issa Brignones, you want to have Brent Spiner, you want to have uh, Orla Brady. They're all going to play people that are somehow related to their other characters, but they look the same. Like, I think we can all just be okay with that conceit. Um, I guess the fact that we kind of, in our hearts, we saw it coming because it is the notion that they're related, the notion that Talon and... Uh, and um, 
Laris are related was our first thought because they look like the same lady. Like, do you get points for the, do you get points for being a smart show because of that? Or do you get, do you not get points because we all were like, Hey, it's the same lady. I maybe I don't know. Maybe they're connected somehow. I mean, they were really trolling us with the headset that looks like a, a Vulcan or a Romulan ear. And I'm like, all right, that that's a cute way to kind of wink at us. Ha ha. You thought this. And then it is some form of holographic tech in 2024 that obviously a supervisor that of the Gary seven lineage is using. So it opens up the possibility too. was he Romulan. Yes. She does say that they were usually recruited to watch over members of their own species. So what you're proposing, maybe Gary seven was Romulan. I mean, it's an interesting retcon that Kirk and company, you know, interacted with a Romulan back on Earth in the original series. Yeah, I guess either way, it's no harm, no foul. It doesn't, you know, fundamentally redo canon. Uh, Pete, there was a website in the past week that was breathlessly wondering if the inclusion of James Callis as both both therapist and in-mind dad has that re something redone star trek canon it was like can we just assume let me ask you this pete honest question can we just assume that maurice picard circa age 50 and should we all look as good as as, you know as james callis at age 50 but did maurice picard circa age 50 look like james callis like that's what the episode is offering right see no reason not to and callis does this thing with his voice particularly at the beginning of the episode and then at times throughout it that does not make it recognizable in the way that we normally hear him, uh, not in the Baltar type of accent. Um, I'll, I'll see your clickbait, Matt, and raise you uh, people thinking that Callus was playing Julian Bashir. Look, all I could say is this, um, just because they are British actors who have a rather similar, although not, not identical complexion, um, if you thought that was the case, first of all, look, we can all say, oh, is, is that so-and-so? Okay, no, they're not. We can all kind of you know miss-see an actor and you go, okay, my bad, versus like, it would be one thing if the, it'd be one thing if you mistook who played Agent Wells at the end of the episode. Okay, fine. Um, you know, Callus was in the best science fiction series of the two thousands and one of the great landmarks of television. If you are completely unaware of him as a Star Trek fan, then guess what? There's about ninety episodes of Battlestar Galactica that are going to take you on an emotional journey some of which is uh, of its time which is to say the 2000s post 9 11 and so forth some of it which is eerily um still very valuable um i'm looking at you should we fix the election or not uh, a couple of episodes in battlestar galactica so if you thought he happened to look like alexander Siddig, um he, he's not and once you find that out maybe don't keep beating your drum there on social media 
So this technology that uh, Talon has, um, they check off this in here in this episode. So they're clearly going to need this at some point in the next couple episodes, if not to evade this potential time cop uh, to do something, right? I think possibly the fact that she said it takes eight hours. Could I see a story situation where in the next eight hours of their existence, the next three episodes occur? Sure. So it might be like, damn, Picard, if only I had my holographic thing. But ugh, look, still charging. Like, it might have been, we have this really great tool to reveal her to be Romulan, but we then need to immediately take the tool off the table because we got a couple whiteboards of great ideas for the last three episodes, and that wipes them all out. So it's either setting up its use at just the right time and maybe complete with like a boop, 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 green, 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 and then they can now whatever, hide underneath the, the holographic uh, cloak or something. Um, it's either that or we're never going to hear from it again because they don't want us thinking about like, but if only Picard could put on a hollow mustache, then he'd be free. What more do you think we have to learn about Picard's childhood and that story? I mean, I honestly, I'm not sure what to think now because as discussed, there's a certain poignancy to, you know, here Picard in many good ways and in some bad ways was molded by the, you know, being in an, an abusive home. That's part of the reason why he keeps people at arm's length. Okay, fine. Then you want to mix in mom was not well, um, though I'm still not crazy about that kind of as an answer to mom's claims of abuse. I will grant you that's, you know, that is a scenario. Fine. Um, if you're going to get, is there, is there a third option? Like dad is an abusive monster or mom is unwell. What is the answer? Both. Well, that still is parts of the things we already knew already. So I'm not quite sure. Um, unless it's something terrible, like mom took her own life. And that's part of the reason why Picard has, you know, from that day forward, Picard kept people at an arm's length. Uh, I mean, story-wise, it makes me almost feel bad to suggest that. I, then I need to remind myself, oh, she's a fictional character. I'm not wishing that on anyone who's not a collection of you know words on a page and, and a well-acted performance. Beyond that, I don't know. Raffi tells uh, Rios to stay safe. And doesn't mention anything about not bringing 2,024 people back to the ship, which he does. Has he broken time or has he assured that not only Dr. Teresa Ramirez and her son Ricardo will be coming back with them to um, the 25th century? Well, let me start with this. It's another brick in the oven, which also includes, will Gerardi ruin humanity? How do we detangle her from the Borg Queen? How do we start up La Serena to make Fly go home? How do we solve the Q trial? Um, and how do we, I guess we've successfully undone the alternate future now, 
although we don't know for sure that the rocket took off. So potentially we could have next week Dr. Soon in a black hat planting bombs at the launch site or something like that. Um, so there's a lot going on. So maybe that's my way of saying, hey, show, I don't appreciate that you necessarily brought this addition in here because I'm focused. I personally am focused and invested on other things. That said, they've seen it. I mean, if we're going to quote Kirk in Star Trek Four, and then he brings a lady back to the future, I guess we're kind of sort of on that path here. But this is also the same show that was like, don't forget, no phasers and don't touch anything because we could butterfly effect things to be even a zillion times worse. So am I back to being cranky by saying, I don't really know, Pete, they're going to figure it out in the next three episodes? The um, Borg technology on La Serena brings up the idea here. Is it the only way for them to return to the future? It's the only way that's been presented to us. Asterisk, we do have the Talon, Gary Seven, Supervisor, technology, which is a big X factor. So could they say, oh, if we just pull a little extra power, we can do a gateway to take you home? Or Q. Uh, or Q. Yeah. But like, let me this way. Do I think Q is going to get is the trial slash Q's sickness, will that get resolved in 2024 or in the future, in the 25th century? I guess I was again leaning towards the 25th century, but it, it could be in sunny California, courtesy of the taxpayers of California. <laughs> uh, main event versus side story, Matt. Gerardi and Rios, Rafi and Seven. Who, who's what? Well, hopefully, Pete, I'm answering from a position that's not subconsciously heteronormative. Um, there's an interesting arc on screen to the Gerardi Rios thing. And then the fact that they broke it off off screen, but still work together sometimes or swore they'd never work together again. But then when we see them in the first episode of this season, they really are a great professional team. And I love the banter of like, hey, let's bleep the bloop. Oh, wait, pardon me, Captain. May I bleep the like? It's so delightful there. The kiss, we know, is from the Borg, but can it be creating passion once the Borg Queen is banished? Contrast that with the Seven and Rafi relationship that was introduced to us last season by, like, look, they're holding hands and looking in each other's eyes. And then this season, it's like, yeah, JL, Seven doesn't really have time to have a relationship with me, even though we're, like, in one. So on screen, we don't really function as a romantic couple. Um, I'm more team Rios and Gerardi than I am Rafi and Seven. But hey, show, anytime you want to, I don't know, have a little less of Ricardo and a little more of Rafi and Seven learning to understand each other as a romantic, you know, physical people, uh, I'm, I'm game for that too. Rafi and Seven is a main event. I love... Uh, the premonition that Raffi talks about of the two of them being older, sitting on a park bench and using their canes to trip teenagers. And of course, seven is better at it than Raffi. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, Pete, let me ask you this. When will seven and company catch up with Gerardi? Cause I, I would like to have some sort of sense of 
prospective timelines for the next three episodes. So when do we start to resolve the Jurati Queenie threat? Next week. Okay. Do we solve it next week? I don't think so. Uh, does the Borg Queen get banished this season? Banished? Like, do we solve the Borg Queen? I know that you've proposed one scenario by which the crew has to leave Jurati behind or something like that, or Jurati's been lost through the void. Um, but we get to meet her as, as the, um, the Legion board queen, um, presumably then, you know, like, oh, at some point, and now the board queen is gone. Alice and pill, you're playing full on Jurati again. Um, but do we solve the board queen situation this season? Yes. When, in what episode will we solve the Q is sick thing? I think they both happen in the finale. And how much 25th century do we get? I want to, I want to have clear spoiler Pete expectations as I get ready for these next three episodes. One more episode. Okay. One more full episode or by the end of the next episode? I think they're in the 25th century in the final episode. Okay, I will take it. With that, Pete, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We go to our Twitter poll, which uh, Pete had the cadets rank this episode. And immediately I was like, something's going to be the lowest rank. We're going to miraculously get more low votes here. Uh, So Pete will start at the bottom, which is still a pretty good place to be. Commander Cogent got 12.5%. Captain Commendable got 9.4%. Commodore Charming got 25%. And Admirable Awesome got 53.1%. So still a nicely uh, nicely rated episode there. We heard from Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983. Classic bottle episode. I wish we would have had more time with Gerardi slash Queenie and less Picard. I know his name is on the show, but they didn't resolve his dream. So what was the purpose? That was a dumb move from Rios. How did that not mess up the future? Need to ramp it up. Uh, we heard from JT Adkins. JTA is me. Uh, I said it. I said it. Uh, when Q said this is penance, it's his penance, not Picard's. Also, I wanted Battlestar Galactica to end with them finding Earth and the Enterprise. And now Head Baltar is JL's dad. I'm winning all <laughs> over the place thanks to this eminently satisfying series. I'm totally cool with the ongoing mystery. I'm confident we'll turn a corner before episode 210 and before Nosferatu wins. Also, the good doctor and her son are headed to the future aboard the deborged La Serena. I'm having so much I'm having too much fun, but I'll endure. And I agree with whomever said uh, said it here. Law enforcement is section 31 temporal temporal prime directive goons. Speaking of time, is it next Thursday yet? Oh, and speaking of penance. Perhaps Q has been obsessed with Picard's since his mother and is somehow responsible for her and or JL's trauma. Here I stand. Next, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 I'm on the fence with this episode, not sure whether I like it or not. At this point in the story, the stuff in Picard's head about his childhood doesn't seem necessary for the plot. Picard himself even said it was irrelevant, but I hope there will be payoff later. Okay, so Talon is Romulan. Is she really Laris, or is there a continuing mystery yet to be revealed about her? Are supervisors long-lived? Does she time travel to Picard's future to watch over him? Uh, Or are they two different people? 
Pete, let me pause Spider-Ham Lincoln's words for a second here. With all the other craziness and, you know, multiple people playing multiple parts and so forth, I kind of like the idea that Talon doesn't know she will be transported to become Laris. That's an interesting take, but I think the two time frames, yeah, I'm just not quite clear. I, I'm down with what they're doing. I just can't see how it goes at this point. Well, time will tell. Back to Spider-Ham Lincoln. Rios, what are you thinking, man? By the way, another nice homage to Star Trek Four. I'm from Chile. I only work in space. The Elorian Q Continuum Truce is an interesting layer to peel away. We're witnessing the birth of a new queen. He quotes the episode. The end scene had me flabbergasted. This X-Files guy, Agent Wells, arresting Picard and Guinan, could he secretly be with the Department of Temporal Investigations? I think, Pete, our assumption is something like that. Very much yes. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on to Make It So, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Baltar, a schmuck as always. So now we know more about Picard's childhood, finally. Would love to know if this was ever considered before this series. Just in general, what was his childhood like? I was hoping they'd have headed back to their time by now. Hope we get more than one episode in the 24th century. And now they've all interacted with law enforcement. So much for laying low. Now the crew will search for him and find his badge only. Another great episode, just need more Quirati. Judaborg, Barati, uh, Pete. I think all of those are beautiful and, and wonderful. They are. Uh, and then Pete, the, a, a thoughtful take here from uh, Bertie Love. That's Bertrand Russell's. That says the whole fiasco is utterly desperate. Uh, and I see you had replied and said, uh, you know, care to elaborate? Uh, and they did not. Yeah, because the haters can only hate. They can't actually articulate what they don't even like about it, or they, worse yet, Matt, they won't. Uh, Pete, let's move now to the old email inbox. And Pete, this is an email from Stacy who says, Hi, Matt and Pete. Much like last week, I was surprised by this episode. I think we all thought it was going to be an entire episode inside Picard's head, and that would probably have been good, but this was better. I clocked the therapist as Picard's father pretty early on, but didn't expect the pivot from Jean-Luc perceiving him as abusive when he believed he was helping his wife and protecting his son. The use of the tunnels below the vineyard was well done, and unlike some other recent shows, they made it dark, but not so dark we couldn't see anything. And those monsters that Yvette saw, phew, they were really well done. I have to add that I've seen conversation online about this as a disservice to those with mental health issues and that the tortured artist trope is really bad. I didn't catch that while I was watching, so I think it's important to bring up. Uh, Pete, why don't we pause Stacy's words there for a second. I I had not seen such conversation online. I, I don't know that this is... In my opinion, this episode is not painting Mom as anything other than, thus far in the story, debilitated by some serious mental health issues and we're seeing the impact that that has had on her son and and if we take this episode at at full face value it's also you know greatly impacting her husband and how her husband is perceived by their son and, and on and on yeah i don't get the tortured artist trope does drawing on windows make you an artist i mean 
the imagination that we're told she had more so of a storyteller, less so of someone who did physical art. Yes, there's the rose that we've had as a motif throughout the season, you know, um, the the sorcerer and the monsters in this episode. But yeah, I, I did not get that. I, I had not seen that. Back to Stacy's words here. Talon is Romulan. The only thing that slightly soured the reveal for me was that we'd seen her ears not covered by her hair in the previous episode, and they were clearly human ears. But that's a small thing, and Picard's happiness at the reveal was great. I'm curious to see what else uh, uh, is in his head that hasn't been revealed, especially since Talon also believes it to be what Q is trying to get Picard to see. I'm glad we got to see Guinan again. Ito Aigahiri's portrayal of Guinan's disgust with Picard continues to be delightful. Loved getting the backstory of the strife between the Elorians and the Q Continuum. That attempted summoning of Q was wild. I hadn't seen the TOS episode with Gary Seven, so I watched it this week. I don't know that I needed to see it, although it did help fill in the gaps and was super fun. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Pete, that from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. I've been really looking forward to how they would inform the backstory between the Elorian and the Q. And now that we know they have this Cold War, that there's a way to physically summon a Q and that he nor any other Q shows up, I think, spreads the specter of whatever's up with him to even more of them. Well, Pete, now I turn the bottle and summon forth Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 7. I gave this episode a 7 on IMDb. want to give a shout-out to Ito Agayere, who is playing the young Guinan. She had a very nice interview with Will Wheaton in the ready room of this week. Really uh, recommended to watch that. I couldn't really get into the interaction between Picard and the psychiatrist, which then eventually proved to be his father. And it was a long way to the end conclusion in the sense of that Picard always thought that his father was the monster, whereas probably his mother had some psychiatric problems and his father only tried to protect the family. So the time distribution between all things that happened before and then in the end the conclusion that it's probably like this and the time that's spent then to incorporate that thought was was very short. Well, on the other hand, we only have a 45 or something like that episode I can understand, but I would have liked that distribution a little different. I didn't understand why Rios took Teresa and her son into the spaceship. Was that just to impress her or something like that? It's really a big risk of breaking the timeline. But okay, since he follows Kirk's path in saying, for instance, I'm from Chile, I just work in outer space, he also takes her into his spaceship, like Kirk did with the biologist who was taking care of the whales in the movie The Voyage Home. Well, Talin proved to have a nice ear-cloaking device. 
just for ears. And I really wonder if she is Laris or that she is an ancestor of Laris. Okay, whatever. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Great, as always, to hear from Fred, uh, who wished that there was a bit more of the father portion of the story. Pete, it sounds like we're all on the same page that if there is more, I mean, we'll see how that more impacts the next couple episodes. And if indeed it is, as Stacy said, key to, you know, kind of boom, understanding dad, boom, understanding the past, boom, understanding Q, boom, understanding the trial, boom, getting out of 2024. It all could happen very quickly, but we're all kind of in the very special Picard flashback episode. We didn't get the whole story. And I think we're all like waiting for next week. I think there's more to tell, obviously, and they've teased that out enough. Um, Rios and what goes on there. Uh, remember, too, that uh, Kirk, though he told uh, Jillian in uh, 1986 that uh, he was, you know, from the future and worked in space, it was she that made the leap to go with him onto uh, their captured bird of prey. So he didn't take her. Uh, she chose to come. It'll, again, as discussed earlier in the podcast, I didn't expect that turn coming. I would have, as I've said in other podcasts, I would have expected her to be like a one and done, like I am here to facilitate Rios and the audience understanding immigration issues. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised that I have no idea where that little particular portion of the story is going. So, but wherever the story is headed, Pete, the path made so possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from takes just a dollar a month to get you through that door can't contribute this month get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating in seconds leave us a review and just a little bit longer to any of our podcast feeds and it helps us just as much indeed pete we appreciate that so so much let's also keep the conversation going with you know plenty of Picard ahead 10 glorious episodes of strange new worlds just around the corner Moon Knight and Doctor Strange filling up the MCU. How can people be in touch with you to talk about any of those things? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 12,572 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, I know next week we will be podcasting Moon Knight episode 104 on the Pop Culture Podcast feed and its own dedicated podcast feed. Uh, if, dear listener, you're here just for the Picard, we'll be back next Sunday for Star Trek Sunday. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Know any good jokes? Uh...